you think of geography, most people think of physical geography. And, but when I went to university, I mean, I was taking cartography, learning how to use maps uh, to, to show social injustice. And it, I was doing cultural geography. Um, so there's a whole part of geography that I don't think we really uh, give enough play at the, at the high school level. Everyone just thinks it's, it's about rocks and countries and capitalism. It's actually, it's a science and it's a way of viewing the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Job Share Podcast, Season 4. So exciting. I apologize for taking, I think it was two weeks off. Sometimes, you know, everyone just needs a break. Sometimes I was definitely needing a little break to recharge and regroup, think of people I wanted to bring on and, and uh, showcase. So that's exactly what I did. So I'm back with a brand new episode to start off the new season. I had the privilege of interviewing Tom Scanlon, and there's kind of a running theme. I've had a few other Scanlons on before, so you know this won't disappoint because their whole family is just full of talented and unique individuals, and Tom is without a doubt a very interesting person. We had a great chat about his careers and his life experiences and what led him to developing the Blue Box program, as well as many other environmentally focused initiatives. He's written several books. Um, He's currently developing a new podcast about hidden gems in Toronto. His podcast is called Hidden Gems, so make sure to check that out to discover some hidden gems in Toronto. He'll talk about that a bit actually in this podcast, but he's an urban geographer, I guess if you want to give him a title, but based on this podcast, as you'll find out, he's kind of taken on many hats in his life and it's been very interesting and it really makes you realize, you know, that you don't need to stress about knowing exactly what you need to do with your life. I know lots of people kind of stress out about that around the high school age. And even in college or university or or whatever anyone's doing after high school. And, you know, the running theme in this podcast is don't stress, it's all going to work out. You know, I wish I had these sort of messages when I was in high school. So I'm happy to pass them along to you. I'll stop the rambling. So let's just jump right into the episode. Thank you again for for taking the time to to chat with me today. Um, I've chatted with a lot of your siblings already, so I know yeah. I can only expect great things because I've just heard impressive stories from your your siblings. So I can't wait to to chat with you. I feel like we're sort of like the Baldwin family, and you've you've had the the more famous Baldwins on, and I'm the Baldwin that sort of people say, "What movie was he in?" You know, so I'm I'm glad to be part of it. I mean, based on the the profile that you presented me with all the things you've accomplished over your career, I'm I don't think you're the one that's, you know, behind the scenes. I'm excited to to learn more about you. So if you're ready, I will just uh, ask you to introduce yourself to the podcast. Yep. Maybe maybe tell everyone who you are and and the kind of work that you like to do and maybe what you're focused on for work right now, if you are. Sure. Um, I, I take a little pride in calling myself an urban geographer, even though if you know if you look at my career, um, I started off in, as an urban geographer, but it expanded into lots of different areas. Um, if I kind of go chronological, um, I, I guess one, one thing that that 
I'd like to get across is for other people to understand is lots of careers. They do a lot of things before you end up doing what you're doing. One of the things that was big in my life was, was part-time work. I, I have had, I think 20 different part-time jobs throughout high school, university and beyond. And they served me very well. And um, I mean, I have, I have driven cab. I have worked on fishing boats. I ran a youth hostel. I pump gas, you know, I deliver coffins to funeral homes, all kinds of things that I think that prepared me in many ways to, to understand that there's a lot of tough jobs out there. A lot of people work very hard and don't get paid a lot of money. And I had great respect for working class people. And I learned that from all these different jobs. But I also learned from some of the more difficult ones, like working in a factory on assembly line, that that wasn't for me. And I didn't I have an opportunity when I was looking at university to, you know, to, to pick something that would perhaps give me a, a different experience. So for me, I, I had a great geography teacher at high school. And um, so I went to university and I took geography and uh, a wonderful thing happened. There. When I finished the third year, a professor came to town and at Western, I think he went to Western too. Is that I correct? did go to Western. Yes. That's exciting. I might've been there a little earlier than you, but we'll, we'll leave that for now. <laughs> anyway, he came and he had this exciting idea. He wanted to get eight or 10 students to, to leave university and go on an expedition. And the expedition, not the North Pole, was to go to an inner city neighborhood in Toronto and live in a house for a year and do all these neighborhood studies. And there was about a hundred people in the class at that time. And only two of us jumped at the chance. And it, it was a bit of a game changer for me because I gave up, I love, I love geography at Western, but I took on this live downtown, be a geographer. He didn't want us to be up in the ivory tire, tower. And it was just a wonderful experience. And the, the work we did became internationally famous. And geographers were coming from all over North America to see what we were doing, these traffic studies and playground studies. And uh, I know at one point it got so big that the director said to me, Tom, I want you to get on a train and go to Vancouver and stop off along the way at every major university, because you're going to give a presentation on what we're doing. And I mean, I was in so over my head, but I did it. And at one point, about halfway through, I was starting to get, they were introducing me as Dr. Tom Scanlon. And of course, I was an undergraduate, but wow, I didn't bother to correct them because I, I thought I'll, I'll never really be a doctor. So it was kind of fun for at least a couple of weeks to, to have the PhD. So that was my start. Um, and from there, I switched. I, I went traveling. And um, this was another cornerstone, I think, of, a, of an event that played a big part of my life, Elizabeth. Um, I traveled after that work in the city for about eight months. I went through Europe, North Africa. I hitchhiked. And um, it sort of changed my view on the world, even as, almost as much as the working in 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 the um, in downtown Toronto and the thing about travel that has always stuck with me is if you travel a lot if you become a world traveler and I, I've got 61 countries so far I think it it's really hard to be a bigot let's say it's hard to be a racist it's hard to be small-minded it's hard to be a climate change denier if you travel and see the world and 
You know, I, I, I think, I wish we could, if, if you had the means, I, I just think every student in Canada would do well to take that on at some point in their career. So that's my beginning as an urban geographer. Wow. That is super exciting. I agree. I personally haven't done much traveling. I've only been to the States a handful of times, but mm-hmm. I'm eager to once, uh, you know, the pandemic calms down a bit, sure. but I was hoping to ask you more specifically, um, what exactly you were doing for work in downtown Toronto? What was gathering or receiving all this attention of the work that you were doing? Well, what we did is we set up in a house and we, we sort of got engaged with the neighborhood and we started asking people like, what are your problems or what, what do you care about here? Things came up and we, we ended up all doing all these studies. One, a big thing was, was traffic accidents. So we did a lot of studies on where accidents were happening what was causing these accidents. Um, in fact, if you if you go to Brunswick Avenue in, in neighborhood uh, today, you will see a series of one-way streets that's a bit like a mousetrap, very hard to get through. That was actually our work. So we, we worked with the community, we developed a plan, and then the community took our research and they took it to City Hall and they got these changes being made. We also did interviews with kids. We, we, we went into schools and had children do, we call them mental maps, maps of their neighborhood, showing what areas of the neighborhood were important to them, what areas were they afraid of. Again, we took this information and provided it to the community to see if they can maybe make some changes. We, we looked at um, absentee landlords. What, what's the impact of having people that own houses and not taking care of them? So there was a whole series of research items that we did that we, in the end, we put them all together with some, some more national studies at the same time. And, and we wrote a book and it was, it was the Canadian alternative. It was called. And the idea was, you know, we can, we can learn a lot from our neighborhoods and we can extrapolate from them and, and make, you know, major changes. Wow. You actually make learning geography and studying geography very interesting like this sounds like really interesting work I personally wasn't a fan of geography in high school so it's just crazy the impact that a teacher or professor can have on a student to then lead you down this path to allow you to end up making real change in Toronto that's that's very cool I'm so glad you said that Elizabeth because that is exactly what, what it was a high school teacher that inspired me and a university teacher that came up with this creative idea. And what you said is, I think is really bang on. You think of geography, most people think of physical geography. And, but when I went to university, I mean, I was taking cartography, learning how to use maps uh, to, to show social injustice. And I was doing cultural geography. Um, so there's a whole part of geography that I don't think we really uh, give enough play um, at the at the high school level. Everyone just thinks it's it's about rocks and countries and capitals and it's actually it's a science and it's a way of viewing the world and um it's because of these type of experiences that I think I got that that's really that's really cool and I just think high school is such an important part of everyone's lives you learn so much in high school but you yep. you also don't learn a lot enough like my high school I wasn't shown 
a lot of different paths. We, I went to a pretty small high school, so there was a limit in how many extracurriculars or how much we could learn. And it just, it just really impacts the choices you make down the line. Like Mm -hmm. if more people knew that geography, if you focused your studies in geography, you could be, you know, having this sort of change, I think it would interest a lot of people. So I just find that interesting. Well, I'm glad you're a fan of the geography because we're, we're, we're a good club. And, uh, you know, one, one thing about geography, we, 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 we get along well and we have a lot of good times too. Field trips can be great things. So. No, for sure. So I wanted to pivot this into you telling me about, uh, the blue box program mm-hmm. and maybe how that inspired you, what inspired you to start this program. And it seems like based on your profile here that you're very focused on the environment and environmental issues. So maybe tell me how the blue box program was formed and how sure. you did that. That was a, another kind of, you know, sometimes I, I feel like uh, I, I've lived a, a charmed life uh, where I can I just sort of drop into these things and they work out. So after I traveled, I came back and there was an organization, being, environmental group being formed called the Is Five Foundation, and this uh, very smart guy had got a grant from the government to get hire 26 people to again work in neighborhoods on this time on more environmental problems. So, uh, you know, I, I got the job, um, and one of the areas we worked on was in the beaches area of Toronto. And back then, if you wanted to recycle your bottles or glass, you had to drive to a depot. And, dep- and leave them there. And sometimes the depots were overflowing and, you know, you had to be really dedicated. Anyway, we had this, you know, sometimes a simple idea can be profound. We had a very simple idea. We felt people do care about the environment, but maybe we should can make it easier for them to, to do some good things. And we thought, what if we try this experiment? And we said to people, we took, I think, five or six different streets in the beaches and said, uh, put out flyers and said, if you put your bottles out every Monday morning, we'll come by and pick them up for you. And we had an old green pickup truck and it just went blockbusters. We thought we'd have a few homes. After about a month, every single home was putting out their bottles and glasses. We knew we were on to something, but I think it, it we didn't know how big it could be. And with, with the results of that experiment, and then we added newsprint as well. We hooked up with a company, Laidlaw in Kitchener, Waterloo, who was doing waste management. And we we got the government convinced that we should try a bigger pilot project than our four streets. And we did. And this time we actually used blue boxes. And I mean, that again, caught on like wildfire. And so from the small little, you know, idea of let's make it easier. Right now, uh, that blue box, as you know, Elizabeth, is it's in every major city around the world. It's it's. It's it's just a way of life now, but back in 1975, it, it was all brand new. So that was my introduction to an environmental group, and also it was a it was a, a group of really creative people. So we we had um we got a printing press in because we thought we should start printing some educational material and you know sort of share what we were doing, and that printing press became a very another sort of landmark for me because once we had the printing press I actually wanted to write some books I wanted to in particular the work that we had done in the in the Brunswick area I want I thought we should take what we learned there and we should do a book for high school students and elementary school students that they could do studies in their own neighborhood so um I kind of 
proposed this idea and um, I got a lot of support for it. And we got a little bit of money to do it. And I ended up writing my first book called Neighborhood Geography. And we actually printed it on this little wee press. So um, I was starting, I was doing it geography and I was also doing the environmental work. So it was a, it was a great crossover. Um, and that kind of led to my next kind of career, which is as the blue box expanded, the group I was working with was starting to do more consulting and they were, it was really going places. I, I didn't really enjoy consulting and I just loved this printing press. And so I sort of said, you know, I'll manage this press and I'll, we had a couple of designers and I said, I'll, I'll keep this going. And we started doing some work for some outside um, environmental groups as well. And I kind of enjoy that, but after about a year, I thought, I don't like managing people. Now, you have an HR background, right, Elizabeth? That's right, yes. But you, you, this, you probably, this is just water off the back for you, but I didn't like it. I didn't like dealing with a printer that came in late or, you know, designers not happy with the work I gave them. And But I did like the idea of working with other charities. So I kind of came to the conclusion you know, I don't really need to have a printing press to supply charities with printing options. I don't need to have an in-house designer to say I can do design for you. And so as the rest of the group moved on to a more private company, I set up my own company um, called Isfi Communications. And I literally, um, I mean, I, I took a chance. It was a risk. I, I had no salary. I thought, well, I'll give this a year if I can make this work. And I had two kids at that time too. I said, if I can't make it work, then it's okay. I'll go back. I can find some work. And well, within six months, although I wasn't in this to make money, I had made more money than I did in a year's work prior to that. And the idea of, I started reaching out to charities. And, and at first I said, I can do printing for you. I can do design work for you. And no, I was at a meeting one day and they said, oh, geez, we need a photographer. I said, oh, I can get a photographer. And of course, I didn't have one in my pocket then, but I, 24 hours later, I did. So it started to expand where there wasn't anything in the communication world that I couldn't offer because I started to put together a stable of talented people. So I had writers, I had designers, I had editors, I had translators, and none of them I was paying a salary to. They're all freelance, which... You know, it, there was another advantage. I had like no overhead. I, basically, I, I rented a small space and I was rented it from the people that did the, the blue box with me. And I, I paid minimal rent and they gave me more work in terms of printing and design than I was paying in rent. So it, it just snowballed. And, and I, I ended up for the next 30 years running IS5 Communications. And it was a remarkably... Uh, rewarding career because I, on the one hand, I love working with writers, designers, artists, creative people. On the other, I worked with some of the, the finest people in fundraising. I mean, UNICEF Canada, Sunnybrook Hospital, Boys and Girls Club, Anglican Church, and we were running major campaigns. It, it, you know, looking back, it, uh, my accountant always laughed at me. He said, I don't know how, how this is going. You All these huge ad agencies with all these overheads, you're stealing work from them because they can't compete with your price. And it's never all about price with, with charities, but it's important. But I had a really good stable of talented people. So 
that was my career for 30 years was literally being the middleman between charities, nonprofits, and then suppliers that could provide them with the communication work that they needed. Wow. That's incredible. That is truly incredible. You just, you know, you took a chance at it and and you turned it into a 30-year career. That's really impressive. Now, I was getting the sense that, um, you know, with creating the help to create the Blue Box program Mm -hmm. um, and these books that you're writing, you must have a a passion for the environment. Would you say that, you know, you you have a passion for making the environment better? 100%. I think that the one thing that's slightly different for me, Elizabeth, is I, I really marry the environment with social justice. And to me, they are very much the same because the climate crisis is not impacting everyone the same. The poorer countries in the world are getting devastated way more. In, in every aspect of, of society, there really is a difference depending on where you live and who you are. And that's social justice and it is climate change. And we're seeing it now with, with COVID. And, and back to my geography roots, if you look at a map of Toronto, for instance, who where is COVID the highest? Where are the people getting vaccinated the least? It's all in the poor neighborhoods. And this is a worldwide phenomenon. So I've, I have had, I mean, the blue box thing, and I, my whole life is hanging out with environmentalists. So yeah, absolutely, I care about the environment, but I have a, a real passion too for injustice. And, um, and it's been nice because when I was working with these charities, I worked with a lot of charities working with poverty. Uh, I've worked with women's sh- shelters, um, but I also worked with half a dozen environmental groups. So on a given day, I was hang- I was working with some pretty fine folks trying to do some really good work on on both of those those spheres. Right. And I'm just I'm just imagining you in high school or university. I'm sure you did not picture yourself doing the kind of work that you ended up doing for uh, most of your life. Yeah, you know, Elizabeth, I kind of Sounds simple, but I always kind of felt there's two, there's sort of two types of people. You either play checkers or you play chess. And and I, I've never been a chess player. I admire people in their careers that are chess players. And by that, I mean, you know, they start at the beginning. They already have a plan for the end. They got to, they see the six steps. They're at high school. I'm going to be a doctor. Okay. I'm going to get an undergraduate and science degree. I'm going to then do the internship and yada, yada. At the end, I'm a doctor. And I never played that game, but I did play checkers. And checkers to me is, you know, you start with a blue box program and somehow there's a printing press and you go, oh, I like that. So I'll move into that one. And so I, I say to younger people, I, I'm not, don't be bothered if you don't have a clear career path. It's actually way more fun. And it, it makes sense to me to take advantage of opportunities that come at you. You don't kind of have to, have this straight path. That's how I'm going to get there because that's not how life works. And it shouldn't work like that. You're going to have a way more interesting life. If you try something doesn't work, then you change and you try something else. So it's sort of been my philosophy and it served me well. Yes, I completely agree with you. I've been picking up on that philosophy lately myself because I I completely agree with you. I never had a clear path of what exactly I was going to do. And even the job I'm in now, I did not picture myself being a scheduler for um, a paramedic services for a, a whole county. But sometimes I oh. think that you make choices in life and sometimes choices make you. And I know that sounds silly, but no, I no, never no. Let me add to that, Elizabeth. Sure. 
I don't think when you were in grade two, you said, I have got to do a podcast. <laughs> this is my dream. I don't think that was, you know, on your mind. And I'm going to take a guess here. You, I know you have your other career. You're doing a, um, a fabulous job on this podcast. You, you, you have a knack for it. And I think this podcast for you might be uh, my printing press or my blue box or whatever. It, you you have no idea where this podcast could lead you. And I think that's terrific because um, I can't wait to see where it does lead you. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're absolutely right. I just started this because why not, right? I, I I really wanted to and I just did it. And turns out I am having an impact on some people. And then, I mean, that that just means the absolute world to me. And I get to talk to and meet really interesting people like yourself. So I'm having a really fun time yeah, doing like, it. You know, it's funny. One of the things about life experiences as well is um, I've hitchhiked a lot. And that's, you can't do that anymore. I understand that. I, I hitchhiked across <laughs> Canada when I was 16 and I had done Europe, North Africa, all that. And you know, hitchhiking is an interesting thing because you learn a lot. You 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 gain some skills. And some of the one of the skills you gain is you learn how to talk to people. I mean, you're sitting in a car for four hours with someone, and sometimes there's a language barrier. You have to become pretty good at, at talking to people, and you learn to become, I think, a fairly good talker, and you learn to become a very good listener. And so that's one of those offhand things that who knew? You, you think, oh, I'm hitchhiking because I want to get from A to B. Uh, not so fast. Other things happen along the way. <laughs> Very true. So I wanted to ask you about two other sort of projects that you have worked on or are currently working yeah. on. So Pivot Green was a, a new initiative that's kind of stemmed from the Blue Box program. Is that is that mm -hmm. correct? And and you're a big part of that or or not? So yeah, much? absolutely. What what happened was um, uh, when when I retired, if I can just throw this at you for a second, I, I listened to Bruce Springsteen, he did a, a, a one-man um, show in, in Broadway, and I, I, I watched it, it was terrific, and he said at one point, you know, I I remember when I was 19, what was great about 19 is it was like I had a blank page in front of me, and now I could, for the rest of my life, fill in those pages, and he said, you know, I really regret that I don't have that anymore, and I thought, Bruce, I don't want to correct you, you're a smart guy, but I feel like when I retired, I was given another little book, and I'm with blank pages. And um, it's a, it's not a big book because I've, I've got a limited time, but that's what started two new initiatives. The, the IS5 group, like I said, such a creative group. And we've even, as we all went our separate ways, got together once a year at Christmas for 40 years or whatever. And, you know, after I retired, I was at a party, one of our parties, I said, you know, like, why don't we get to, it's like the traveling Wilburys. Why don't we get the band back together? And so, we started this thing and we started, we've got a new website. We, we share ideas. We invite people to come on our site and rant and rave. We, we review books and, um, and films. And we are actively involved with like a tree trust group and a Laura that's trying to save heritage trees. So um, it's really fun. We got the, we got the, the, the kids back, back in the hall. And uh, so that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Wow. That's very cool. And about Hidden Gems, that's a um, a podcast you've, you're recently creating. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that talk about playing checkers. Um, I 
my daughter who lived in Regent Park said, um, I was taking, we were taking our grandson for a walk and she said, you, you should take him to the book bank. Now, I, I don't know if you've heard of the book bank, Elizabeth, but it's in Regent Park. She said, just take him in. So we went to the book bank and I walk in and it's, it's like a beautiful bookstore. And, but it's different than every other bookstore I've been in. And the difference is that there was uh, no cash register. It's free. Like you could walk into the book bank every single day of the year with a kid and they get to take a book home for free. And anyway, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I love Toronto. I know Toronto really well, but I just marvel that this small little enterprise was doing such great work. And I, so I kind of threw around some ideas. I went back to my roots as a geographer and thought, and I'm going to do a, a podcast on Hidden Gems Toronto. And I'm going to try to find people and organizations that are doing great things or interesting things that it's sort of flying under the radar for a lot of people in Toronto. So we launch, I don't know when this podcast will um, broadcast, but we launched June 1st with our first one. And I'm, I admire your tenacity to do as many as you do. I'm going to look at doing one a month and see how that goes. And I'm doing it with my partner, Sharon, who um, uh, has been with me and been a freelance designer, been part of my life um, forever. So we're really having fun. Um, we'll see how it goes. That's very exciting. It sounds like a great idea. You know, it's it's something that is needed and it's a convenient way to to learn about what Toronto has to offer that you mm -hmm. wouldn't see right on the surface. So I'm excited to listen. Um, this will probably go up hopefully Monday. So the day before. Um, oh. So everyone go check out your podcast. <laughs> oh, that could, that, could, that could not have been better, better played for me. <laughs> that's <terrific>. <laughs> <laughs> that is hiddengemstoronto.net. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm actually, as we speak, I just pulled up the um, Pivot Green. I see Pivot Green 2020 on, yeah. on Twitter. Yes. Um, so is that you work with a, a team then? Like, or is someone else? Yeah, it, on it, if you go to pivotgreen.ca, that's um that's our website. On that, if you look at the the members, it's it's a pretty cool group. I, I maybe your listeners could check that out too. There's there's six of us that are sort of the core group, and all of us from that at one time or another were part of the IS five, and all of us almost to a T are st always stayed in the whole sphere of environmental work, um, and um, now getting back together. So it. it it's an, it's, I think it's a fun site. I don't know if you're able to bring it up that quickly, but um, you'll see I'm one of the six that's listed there. That's very exciting. I, I'm not sure if I just missed this part, but yeah. but what exactly do you do for, for Pivot Green and for the organization? Um, I mean, we all kind of pitch in. We It's, it's a shame that we have um, COVID because we would be, we'd probably be way more active. I mean, there's one of our members is, has works with Tree Trust and the Laura trying to save heritage trees. If it wasn't for COVID, we would be down there and helping her out promote that. Um, but basically, at this point, we Zoom once a month. We share ideas. We, you'll see, we've we've written letters to the editor. Uh, done some different communications. We we're inviting people to um, come to our site to answer a questionnaire. Some prominent Canadians. I had the privilege of getting Scott Niedemeyer, the Hall of Famer, to say he would answer our questionnaire and join us. So um, it's it's just swirling around with some ideas. And as we come out of COVID, we'll probably get more active. We try to include some inspiring stories 
across the country of what individuals are doing in their own life or in small groups. So it's sort of a think tank, but it will get more practical as I think as things go on. For sure. No, that totally makes sense. And I don't think I have too much more to to ask you on this podcast today. It's it's been really interesting chatting with you. I feel like my my career and what my life will look like, the the different jobs I'll have. I think I will jump around in in different fields and different jobs because it just makes it exciting. You know, having different experiences under your belt just makes you a stronger individual and a stronger candidate for different companies. (laughs) Ideally, being with someone for, for a relatively long term would be nice, but I'm not stressed about um, finding the perfect job because I think every job that every person has has strengths and weaknesses that you just learn from and, and just take into your next role. I think you're kind of wise beyond your years, Elizabeth, because the day of working for one corporation forever is, is long gone. And, so, and I think so it should be. And you, you said touched on something that, that I really agree with. And that if you can, one thing I learned really early, especially in the is five days is I had very little money. Seriously. I mean, I was driving cab at night to make ends meet, yada, yada. I was living in a very small apartment. I was genuinely happy. I, it's an important lesson to learn in life that you can st- still have a really good life and not have a ton of material goods. In a funny kind of a way, it frees you up to make different decisions. If you have to make a decision that's only based on a, a financial equation, it really limits you. If you deep down know that, you know what, I, I don't need a lot. I can, I can do all right on this. I just want to do really good work. What invariably happens, I think, in a lot of cases, because it happened to me, is by not chasing money, money almost chased me. My, my, the company that I ran, I'm not a wealthy person, but I'm, 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 I'm very well off. I, uh, you know, I have nothing to complain about. I have a comfortable life, even though that sort of wasn't my goal. And I, I kind of think that's, and in terms of trying to, you know, are you willing to take chances? It's, I, I kind of think of it like the people are taking out mortgages. Do you take the, the variable or do you take the fix? And if, you, if, you, if you're worried about you need stability and you get anxious about uncertainty, okay, take the fix. It's, it's great. But if you're willing to take the variable, it's shown over many years, it almost always works out better. And I think in your, what you're talking about for your career, take the variable, like take some chances. Something's going to happen. You're a talented person. So it, it, it'll work out for you. I know. Well, thank you so much. I've had a wonderful chat with you this this evening. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and tell me all about your life. It's been a pleasure to be part of your show, Elizabeth.